So tonight we're going to look at faith uh, defined and demonstrated out of Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 7. So now, um, last week, our guest speaker showed us (laughs) how... um, The Hebrews had just been given a very stern warning about uh, those who were considering walking away from the faith, from faith in Jesus, you know, a deliberate departure from the faith. What would the consequences of that be for them? And uh, it was a very stern warning, but uh, this the author is so gentle he turns from that stern warning to an encouragement and uh, he encourages them to uh, persevere in their faith don't you know don't deliberately walk away from what God has done for you in Christ and he encourages them uh, in Habakkuk 2 3 that the just shall live by faith Not by what we see, not by what is comfortable. We live by faith in the word of God. And you know, ladies, sometimes that's not comfortable. Because sometimes I don't feel God's presence. I don't feel what I've been promised. And we're so accustomed to living by our feelings. But just hammer it in. The just shall live by faith. So he encourages the Hebrew Christians here by telling them, himself included, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but to those who believe to the saving of the soul. Uh, so he told them, told them that they had need of endurance in their faith. And this is the chap, chapter 11, that's the theme. Enduring faith. And sometimes this chapter is called the Hall of Faith. And it is the record of men and women in the past who have lived out their faith. They have taken God at his word and responded with obedience regardless of their circumstances or their consequences. And so they possessed a faith that persevered and endured. They laid hold of the promises of God. They saw the reality of the unseen world uh, with their faith and obeyed God's word. And they applied that unseen reality to their present situation or hardship. And Romans 15.4 tells us that whatever things were written beforehand were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And that's why he is bringing up all these men and women of faith to give them hope. You know, Satan wants to tell you, you're alone in this. No one's had it as hard as you. No one's had to do what you have to do. You can't do this. It's too hard. And that's Satan's lie to you. But if you look at the hall of faith, these people had hard lives. And they made it through. They endured because they had their eyes on the things that God had promised them. And so we can go through these uh, examples given us to strengthen our faith. I love going back into the Old Testament and looking how God worked in the lives of people, how their faith was shaped, uh, and, and even go back into your own history. What has God done for me before? I am weak in my faith now, but 
God has worked in the past. What has God done? Write things down for yourself so when you're discouraged in your faith, you can build yourself up. The book of Jude says we are to be building ourselves up in our most holy faith. Building ourselves up, that means I have to do some work. Building is not for the faint of heart. It takes blood, sweat, and tears. And ladies, you're going to have to participate in the building of your faith. You've got to get into the word of God. You have got to recount to yourself things that God has done in your life so that you can be encouraged in your present situation. If God was faithful in the past, I know God does not change. He's going to be faithful now. He's going to be faithful to do what he said he'll do in the future. So we must build ourselves up. And that's what the the uh, Hall of Faith is all about, a way in which for me to build my faith, look at these people's lives and be encouraged. Uh, I love what um, Arthur Pink says about faith. This is his analogy. He says, two men are standing on the deck of a ship. They're looking in the same direction, and one sees nothing. But the other one, he sees a steamership in the distance. And the difference is, the first man is looking with an unaided eye, while the second man is looking through a telescope. Well, the telescope brings the distant into view. And so faith is the telescope that brings the uh, promises of God into view, into a reality. Faith enables us to see the unseen world and things that the natural man cannot see. See, the Hebrew Christians were distracted by the things that they could see. The temple, the sacrifices, uh, the services. And then they were influenced by tribulation and persecution and hardship. They needed that telescope of faith in order to... to have confidence in the reality of the unseen. They needed to trust that God would keep his word and to live with the conviction that there was greater glory that lies ahead. So I want to look tonight uh, at Hebrews uh, 11, 1 through 7, uh, in four movements. First, we're going to look at the definition of faith, the worship of faith, the walk of faith, and the work of faith. So let's look at uh, the definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now the word for faith here means a firm persuasion or conviction based upon hearing, and it is used of faith in God or in Christ. But since the whole book of Hebrews is centered on the person of Christ, that's what he is speaking about, our faith in Christ. The word for substance means confidence or assurance as a firm foundation. So then faith is the foundation upon which we build our lives. Our faith is that firm foundation. The uh, word for evidence means conviction, persuasion, or proof. So then faith is the assured, confident expectation and conviction of things not seen as if one had seen them. It's that clear. It's that telescope looking into what God has said. Because faith 
is based on the word of God. Faith is not a, I hope so. I just hope this is going to be the way it should be. I, I hope it's going to happen. It's a, I know so. And how do I know so? Because God said so. Our faith is based on the word of God. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All through the scriptures, when people have faith, exercise faith, it is based on what God has said, declared, or revealed. So we can have confidence in what God has said because in Hebrews 6.18, God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. He is faithful. His word is righteous in Psalm 119.138. His word is truth in Psalm 119.160. All his words will come to pass. Not one will fail. Luke 21.33. And this is what we're basing. Um, this is that foundation, the word of God, which is, is true. It will come to pass. So it is like that firm foundation that we, we uh, build upon in our lives. First Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So the word of God that produces faith in our hearts effectively works in us. God's word produces faith. It, it's effective in helping me to understand the reality of what God has promised in his word. So faith is our response to what God says. Faith accepts God's revealed word in scripture and acts upon it. Because remember, faith that does not act on what God says is no faith at all. Faith must have works in order for it to be real. Uh, Faith believes what God says about the past. It trusts God. God for the present and has confidence for the future. So these Hebrew Christians were to be confidently persuaded about their salvation and about uh, Christ's second coming, the things that were still in the future and what God had promised to them. In verse 2 we read, For it, for by it, or by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. So the elders were the... um, Ancestors or forefathers of the past, which are going to be mentioned throughout this whole chapter. He's going to bring out certain people of the past, men and women that acted on their faith and not their circumstances. See, uh, the enemy wants you to react and act according to your circumstances, your emotions, your feelings, your intellect, your culture, and faith goes against all of that. I have to act on what God's word says. I have to get my telescope out. Lord, help me to see this clearly and help me to to blind my eyes to the things that I do see, the things in this world, and the things that I feel. I need to have clear vision by faith. These men of old, they gained their approval of God by the witness of their lives. 
they responded to the word of God with obedience. And these men of faith were commended by God. But at the same time, they were commended by God for the faith that they held. They were ridiculed by the world. See, the world is going to look at you and think you're wasting your life. Going to church three times a week, reading your Bible every day. I mean, what a waste, right? But we know it is the best life, and it produces peace. But the world doesn't see that. They despise it. So a life of faith, we're going to find it's costly in this life, in the worldly terms. But it is rewarded. Uh, The rewards of faith far outweigh any cost we may incur. We want to hear... As in Matthew twenty-five, twenty-three, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. All of us are living for that. I want to hear that one day. John twelve twenty-five says, He who loses his life, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for life eternal. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11 tells us that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, those that put their faith in him. And so we are to live each day to seek his approval, be pleasing to him. And this means responding to his word with obedience, living not for the temporarily worldly pursuits, but with an eternal perspective. My life is more than about today, here and now. And the enemy just makes you look at today and think, I can't do it. Today's too much. And all I see is what's happening in my life right now. And God needs you to see beyond that. There is more. We need that eternal perspective. And so I have to keep my attention not on what's passing away, but on those things that God has promised the things I've been assured of by faith. In verse 3 we read, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. And so by faith we're told that we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. And by worlds the author means ages of time, also the material universe. And he has in mind here Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we know from the Genesis account that God spoke into existence. Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be the firmament. God just spoke out. I mean, that speaks of a power unimaginable, doesn't it? You know, I couldn't even get my kids to, to make their bed. That's how much power my spoken word had. I had to tell Claire, I'm real sorry about that. <laughs> but um, God is all-powerful. He speaks, and it is done. But how do we know this? He doesn't explain himself. He doesn't say, this is how, I, how things went. Nobody was there to observe it, right? We just read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so it takes faith to believe that. 
And that's what he calls us to do. We believe what God has declared about himself. Um, But all you have to do is look at our world, our universe. There's no other explanation, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. We look at our own bodies. They heal themselves when they get injured. Who designed that? That wasn't an accident. By faith, we understand that, that the visible came from the invisible. God made the material world out of invisible things. You know, back in the days when this letter was written, um, that just sounds real odd, right? But we know now that there are molecules and atoms and neutrons and things that are just not visible, but they make up material things. And, and we know this to be true. It's proven by science. But the scriptures said it all along. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He sustains all of his creation. Now, the worldview is that matter always existed, And by chance and billions of years, things just evolved. You know, they believed there was some explosion. And, you know, little by little, year by year, you know, people were created out of, I mean, that to me is like, really, you believe that? When God says, in the beginning, God, he gives us a real reason to believe, right? And uh, I think that takes uh, more faith, and it's really a leap into the dark. But... The issue is, if God created everything, then we are responsible to him. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe and of our lives. And that's the issue people don't want to take up. Let's look at the worship of faith in Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. So he goes into Genesis for that first example of faith uh, to the life of Abel. And we're looking at the first family. I mean, sin did not take long to um, take effect, right? Um, This is the first family, and Abel is also the first martyr for his faith. His story is found in Genesis uh, 4, 1 through 15. And we find that he had a brother named Cain, who was a tiller of the ground or a farmer, and uh, Abel was a shepherd. And they came to God at a particular time, because this family worshipped God. And these brothers were instructed on how to worship God, because you cannot worship God by faith without knowing what is required. So uh, they had to have been instructed on how to please God and how to worship him uh, in faith. And so we know Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought an offering of the uh, firstborn of his flocks uh, with the fat. And we're told in Genesis that God respected Abel's sacrifice, but he did not respect Cain's sacrifice. And you think, well, why? Why didn't he respect it? 
Well, Hebrews tells us Abel's offering was more excellent, which means it was greater in quality. And Hebrews tells us it was because it was offered in faith. Cain's offering was not by faith. It was not offered according to God's revealed word. So Abel's faith put him in a right standing with God because he followed God's prescribed manner of worship. And without faith, all Cain can offer God is his good works, uh, which are not acceptable. Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So it is a proud thought to think that I can come to God my own way. However I choose, I'll give to him what I want. I will live for him in the way I feel is best. I'm going to do things my way. But we cannot do that. That's called religion. Religion is man's attempt to please God by our own way and our own works. Faith responds to God's revealed word and acts in obedience to it regardless of how it feels. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Well, well Abel was respected, and that was um, God testing his sacrifice and giving his approval. Cain's did not get approval from God um, because it was not right. His heart was not right. Um, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And, and this is the way of Cain, uh, to do things the way he felt, to offer his own works. So Abel's offering was accounted to him for righteousness, just as Abraham, when he believed God, because he put his faith and trust in God's word, it was accounted to him for righteousness, the same for Abel. Now, the attitude of Cain's heart wasn't right. Abel became angry, or even Cain became very angry. His countenance was fallen, uh, and God confronted him with his sin. And God told him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. You need to deal with that sin. You need to confess the sin and forsake the sin but he was not willing. And God warned him about this. The attitude of his heart was one of pride. Remember, the proud, his his heart is not upright in him. To think I can come to God any way I choose, that's a proud thought. Cain did not repent or listen to God, and he continued on that dark path of self-will. Let me tell you, ladies, you give in to self-will, it's going to be self-destructive. And he ended up getting so out of control in his emotions that he kills his brother Abel. And 1 John 3, 11 through 12 says, This is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, his brothers were righteous. That was what was going on in Cain's heart. And he suffered the consequences for that. And so our attitude in worship is weighed by God. He's the one that weighs the, 
the thoughts and the intents of our heart. James 4, 6 says that he gives more grace to the humble. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And this is what we see in Abel and and Cain. Abel's faith is commended by God. When you worship God through faith, uh, being obedient to what he speaks to you in his word, uh, he will commend you. It will be rewarded, but it will not always be rewarded on earth because Abel was the first martyr for the faith. He did receive a, a commendation from God. We look at the scriptures. Here we are in Hebrews chapter 11. We're talking about who? Abel. And his blood spoke out to God. It still speaks to our heart of what it is to worship God in a right way. And uh, as I thought about Abel being murdered, he was murdered at the hand of his brother. And many times when we come to faith in Christ, who is it that does not accept us? It's our family. You can't be a Christian. Who do you think you are? You know, I know what kind of person you are. What do you mean God forgave you? I, I know you. And they don't always accept us. Oh, you just think you're better than everybody else. And they don't understand the way in which we live is to please God. And so many times uh, we're going to suffer persecution. Uh, things in, in your family are going to be different than they used to be. And family doesn't like that. And so you might feel that pressure. And I think that's where these Hebrew Christians were. Their families were practicing Judaism. And for them to come home and say, you know, that's, that's not the way anymore. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He died for our sins. We need to worship God in righteousness through, through faith in Jesus. And they were going to get persecuted like you wouldn't believe. And um, Matthew 10.36, Jesus said that a man's enemies will be those of his own household because Jesus, when he came, he would begin to separate family members uh, in their faith, those that would not believe in him and those that would. It would be become a riff. And um, many times persecution goes forward, even in our families, which is sad. But that's exactly what these Hebrew Christians were experiencing. And so they needed to um, trust in God and um, walk with God. And that's what we're going to talk about next, the walk of faith. Enoch is the example of a faithful walk with God. In Hebrews eleven five through 6, we read, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so we have Enoch as this example of one who walked with God. One who walked by faith, believing God was who he said he was and that God would reward him for diligently seeking him. And we know this because he pleased God. And in Genesis five twenty-one through 24, we read, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. 
After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I always like to think of it as Enoch went on a walk with God and never came back. <laughs> but what I learned about that story is that Enoch's faith had a beginning. So it seems like it's connected to the birth of his son. Um, he lived 65 years. He had uh, Methuselah, and then he walked with God for 300 years. So there was that beginning point to his life of faith. And maybe he had this child, and he thought, how in the world can I bring this young boy up? The world is so corrupt, I don't want him touched by this corruption. And he turned to God, and he sought God. And, and this event was the thing that brought him to faith in God. And all of us have a beginning to our faith. There's all been a defining moment where we realize, I need God. I cannot live my life like this. I am destroying myself. That was me. I was under a program of self-destruct. And I realized I needed some help. And God was the only one big enough to do it. And so I gave my life to him. But there was that beginning moment. We realize we need his forgiveness. We need his light, his love, his wisdom, his strength, his hope. And he so willingly gives it. The word of God is spoken to us. We respond by faith. And as we seek him and walk with him and diligently seek him, he rewards us. So Enoch spent his days living out his faith in God as an example to his children. And he sought God daily. He lived with that awareness of God's presence. He was diligent to seek God. You see, Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. So we know he passed on this amazing faith that he had in God with his son and his grandson. And that is what we're called on to do, to pass our faith on to our children, to uh, the people in our lives, our family members. We are to live out our faith in such a way that people would know that we walk with God. He diligently sought the Lord. Proverbs twelve twenty seven says, Diligence is man's precious possession. That means we have to put effort into our walk with God. When you apply diligence to your walk with God, it is a powerful thing. But you can't have a walk with God that's lackadaisical. You have to keep in step with God. You can't get ahead of him. You can't get too far behind him. You need to stay in step with God. And that is what um, Enoch did. He walked with God for 400 years. And that was in the midst of utter corruption. But he had a consistent walk. Day by day, spending time with God, talking with him, walking with him, trusting in him. His faith kept him in step with God, and that kept him out of step with his culture, with the people um, in his world. And his faith brought him the ultimate fulfillment. 
And you know what that is, ladies? It's to be brought into the presence of God. His uh, reward was God took him to heaven. And that's going to be the final reward of our faith. We are going to go to heaven. We have that promise. Jesus said so. He said, I have gone to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. We are going to go be with Jesus. That's the ultimate fulfillment of our faith. We will see him face to face. It doesn't get better than that. Psalms 143.8 says, Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. That's the cry of one who walks with God. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the rivers, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease from yielding fruit. That's the life of someone who walks with God, who's diligent in their relationship with God, to walk in step with God. Now it says that they will not fear when heat comes. They did not, it doesn't say heat won't come. It will. It will get hard. There's going to be difficult days. Uh, it says that you will not be anxious in the year of drought. You're going to feel pretty dried up at times. The drought will be around you. But because your roots have gone deep into God, You will not be anxious, fearful. You will trust that God will see you through. Whatever you need, God will provide. Whether it's wisdom or strength or joy or hope or stamina or strength or endurance, God is going to provide that. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But on the flip side, we can do nothing apart from him. And so we need to keep in step with God. We please God when we put our trust in him, when we believe in his word, when we stand on his promises, and we don't cave in to our emotions. We don't cave in to the pressures in us and around us the pressures people place on us, the pressure of our culture. We, we trust in what God says. And this is how Enoch pleased God. He lived out his faith, diligently seeking Lord. He put his life into it. And boy, did it pay off. And it will pay off for us as well. We don't store up our treasures on earth, but we store our treasures in heaven where God keeps them. They will be there for us when we arrive. Lastly, let's look at the work of faith. Hebrews 11:7 says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Now you have to know a little bit about the times of Noah. 
to really appreciate what this man did. Uh, in Genesis 6-5, we read that the Lord saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is the environment that he lived in. Only evil continually. Genesis 6-11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And so, uh, can you imagine how uh, awful that was to live under those circumstances? He lived in an evil, corrupt, and violent culture. Doesn't that sound familiar? That sounds very familiar to me. Now, it was so evil that God's solution was to destroy the entire place by a flood. Wipe out every living thing. That's how corrupt and awful things were. And so Noah stood out from the crowd. He stuck out like a sore thumb. Because in Genesis 6, 8 through 10, we read that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Sounds familiar, right? his great-grandfather. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So Noah, he didn't blend in. He wasn't popular. He didn't go with the crowd. He kept in step with God, which kept him out of step with the world. But God told Noah that he was going to destroy the world with a flood. And so the work of faith is to respond to the word of God with obedience. Uh, God tells him in Genesis 6, uh, 13 through 18, that uh, he has seen the violence on the earth, uh, and he says, I'm going to destroy the earth with, with the people, uh, and I'm going to bring up about a flood. He says, I want you to make an ark, and he gives him all the description of what he wants in the ark. And uh, he says, and so I am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So this was his instruction to Noah. This is the word he gave him. Now, he had warned Noah of things not seen. He told him there was going to be a flood. Well, as of yet, it had never rained. Noah had never seen rain because uh, Genesis 2.6 tells us that a mist went up from the ground to water the earth. There had never been rain. And so this was kind of a foreign idea and thought. But because God said it to him and God cannot lie, Noah took him at his word. Um, and so regardless of his experience, his own understanding, he believed God's word. Uh, and he was moved, we're told, with godly fear, which is a reverence for God that produced obedience. This is faith in action. James 2.20 says, uh, do you want, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? You see, faith must have works 
to, to be real. Uh, we, we aren't saved by our works, but from our faith come our works. And it's a demonstration of what we believe. Uh, so true, true faith takes action on what God has said. And this is what we see demonstrated in the life of Noah. James 2.22 says that we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. If Noah would have said, oh, yeah, I believe you're going to do that, God. And he never lifted a finger. Is that true faith? No. But he did something about it. Noah takes practical preparations for the day in which the flood will take place. And Noah lived far inland, yet he built not just a ship, but I'm going to say like an ocean liner in his backyard. The thing took him 120 years to build. Now, I don't know about you ladies, but I have several projects around my house that I got started on five years ago, a few years ago. They're still there, not done. And this man worked 120 years. It took blood, sweat, tears. It took commitment, time, and resources. There was no Home Depot to order your building supplies from. He had to prepare everything himself. And he stood alone against the mockery of the world. No one believed him. He had 120 years to preach uh, this truth and warn these people, and yet he had no converts. Um, And so uh, there he was, 120 years, obeying the word of God, putting his life into this work that he believed All his life was about what God was going to do, what God had said he would do. Noah stood alone against the mockery of the world. He was a preacher of righteousness, according to 2 Peter 2.5. And he warned the people of coming judgment without any convert. You cannot be a preacher of righteousness if you do not live a righteous life and a life of faith. Philippians 2 uh, 12 to 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. All of us are called to work out our faith with fear and trembling, to please God and to take him at his word. The result of Noah's faith is that he saved his household, he condemned the world, and he became heir of righteousness just as Abraham did, by believing what God had said. And um, by the obedience of his faith, he became heir of the blessings that are given to those who are counted righteous through faith. And so I want to ask you, has God given you a word, a scripture, a promise to embrace, to stand on, to live out? Will you invest in it with your life, your energy, your resources, your thoughts, your energies, your work, regardless of the circumstances or the consequences, regardless of what it cost to stand for God and to stand on his promises and to hold tight to them? Will you look at your life through the telescope of faith? Will you dare to see the unseen? You see, the enemy comes to rob us of our view of heaven. 
And he tells us, you can't do it. It's too hard. You're alone. No one understands. But you know, ladies, we're in good company. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. We live as strangers and pilgrims on this earth because we have a better heavenly country where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us that me might be with him forever. And one day, we will see him face to face. It will be so worth it. Abel was to be an example to these Hebrew Christians to worship God, putting their faith in Jesus for his once and for all sacrifice for sins, and not to go in the way of Cain, who offered his own works and was rejected. Enoch would be an example for these Hebrew Christians to walk with faith, uh, walk with God by faith in Christ, resulting in access to God and pleasing his heart. And Noah would be a powerful example to these Hebrew Christians to be moved with godly fear, to live in obedience to Jesus and escape the judgment to come on those who reject him. So these great men of faith have inspired believers in every age to worship God, to walk with God, and to work for God, living out our faith with obedience. And let me close with 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18 Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies. It doesn't feel light, and it doesn't feel momentary. But the scripture says our light affliction, it's light, and it's momentary, and it is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The things that you suffer and go through, the things that build your faith and cause you to cling to God because there's nothing else for you to hold on to, those things are working on your behalf, providing something for you in eternity that you would not have otherwise, creating for you uh, an eternal weight of glory because you have held on to God. You've held on to his word. You have believed him. You've trusted in him. These things work for you. Don't be discouraged. I know some of you are going through hardship, trials. You feel like giving up and giving in and letting go. Don't do it. That's the tactic of the enemy. He does not want to see you trust God for the things that are difficult and hard. Look beyond it. Look to Jesus, who is able to strengthen you and help you and give you what you need to make it through. While we don't look at the things which are seen, the hardship, the difficulty, the pain, the anguish, don't look at that. Look at the things which are not seen. Look at Jesus, the place he's prepared for you. You look at the reward that he has promised to give you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Those, the things we see here and now, they're temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. They will last forever. Your present circumstance is not going to be forever. Your life with God in Christ is eternal. The benefits 
are eternal. The joy is eternal. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, for the encouragement of your word. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to build our most holy faith, to lay hold of the scriptures and to take them to heart and to make them a part of our life. And, Lord, to pursue you with a diligence like never before. Lord, just bind the enemy from trying to discourage and distract us from laying hold of the faith that you have set before us. Help us run with endurance the race you've set before us, that we might please you. And we thank you and praise you and just ask for this help in Jesus' name. Amen.